listening to The Remix Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Rupnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Today I'm here with Anna, and this is a special episode. Anna is going to speak to us from the egg donor side of donor conception. And I'm going to let you tell your own story, Anna, about your egg donations and what messages you'd like to share. And so I I also want to say you are not based in the U.S. You are in Russia. Yeah, it's St. Petersburg. Okay. And you are also based in, do you mostly work out of, uh, or you you personally live in St. Petersburg, is that right? Yes, I live in St. Petersburg, and I'm based in St. Petersburg, so uh, I have some colleagues who work with me, but they're based in Scandinavian countries and in London, so yeah, so I would say <laughs> worldwide. You're international, yes, worldwide. Yeah. That's, that's cool. So tell me a little bit about what led you to become an egg donor. You were an egg donor at one time. Give me a little bit of that story, if you would. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, so... Um, it started in 2008. Uh, it was my first experience. I had three egg donations and it was anonymous. So um, on that period of time, it was a great lack of information on the internet about egg donation, especially in Russia, on the internet, somewhere else. So the only chance to get some profound information was to come to the clinic, to meet the doctor, to have initial consultation with a doctor um, to check your, you know, ovarian reserve to have a um, vaginal ultrasound at the same time. So probably it wasn't so convenient to those ladies who were just interested, you know what I mean? Yeah. How did you first find out that, that this was something you could even do? So I, I just uh, met some adverts on the internet from some clinic and I was interested, what is that? Because, you know, I was just curious about the uh, who need donor eggs. Uh, so I was happy mother. Um, I had family. So it was, well, a sad story for me to know about infertility more. I felt very empathic to those who can't have children. Uh, one of my first questions to a doctor was, who are those people who need a donor egg? Mm. When I heard all this story, how many people need donor egg to conceive a child. I was, you know, like, you know, shocked because um, it wasn't evident for me. Yeah. And so you saw an advertisement and you went to, the, was the doctor the one advertising? So you knew where to go to talk to somebody? Yes, yes. I just uh, met the doctor in the clinic on the initial consultation with the doctor. And she explained me all the process. Uh, she explained me how it, it usually goes and um, it was anonymous donation and well they didn't offer you anything else so yeah. I had no choice actually uh, I could become only anonymous donor they didn't give you the choice so did you even think about not being anonymous or since the doctor didn't mention it maybe it didn't cross your mind or it didn't cross my mind but nowadays I think probably it was uh, a good choice because now, when I at my daily work, when I deal with IVF patients and so on, I think it's good when uh, 
you do not meet patients on your own because um, I know that patients, they are in the journey and probably on the moment when you're going to become a donor, it is not the right time to meet people. Probably afterwards, you know, after some time, it's a good time to meet those people because uh, uh, all the grief went back and uh, they're ready to contact. Probably you understand what I mean. Because Do you mean, did you see grief? Yes, because mm -hmm. uh, I feel that um, when people in the process, uh, they're really frustrated. Uh, they're really frustrated. Uh, most of the times they feel uh, not comfortable. And uh, when they meet lots of ladies, you know, um, prospective egg donors or something like that, uh, probably it won't be comfortable meeting for both sides. I feel that um, personal meeting could be uncomfortable mm -hmm. uh, before the fact of donation, but afterwards. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, I think it definitely is uncomfortable. I can, it can be for some. I know that, and maybe don't, you don't have this so much over in, in Russia, but here in the U.S., it's open adoption has come, become very common. And so with open adoption, the adoptive parents and the birth parents do actually meet beforehand and it is uncomfortable. I mean, it's complicated. It's not to say that it's still not the right thing. It, it definitely is. Um, open adoption has, has become the, the standard and it's, it's working, it, but it is complicated. You know, there's lots of emotions and there's lots of challenges. So yeah, I, I see what you're saying that it, it can be more challenging um, if, to meet in that emotional state. However, there are um, I do work with known donation more here in the U.S., and that is something that that does happen. And they they people do meet each other, and they are able to talk it through. And I even do joint sessions with the known donor and the parents, and we all get together in the same room and talk things through. and And these are usually people that are their friends or family members. And so, and occasionally, it's people they've met independently through you know, different, just online. So, so yeah. Um, but I want to know your perspective because obviously we're in different parts of the world. You know, we're over here, I'm yeah. here in the U S and you're, you're in Russia and working out of UK and even maybe and you said some Scandinavian countries. So, you know, there's different ways of doing things all over the world and I find it fascinating and I love learning about it. So tell me, you know, in your experience, you know, maybe culturally or just systematically, what you what do you see have you seen these people when they do meet and know each other in first and what happens is there have you ever seen that happen and see things kind of go wrong uh well i would say that well first of all um we deal only with anonymous egg donation okay so we do not do any open egg donation um i feel probably it is um a next step for us um because it's getting more popular Mm -hmm. It's getting more open because especially um, if we would consider um, a friend or some not not uh, anonymous person, then probably it would be okay for them to contact. But if they are absolutely unknown, if they are complete strangers to each other, this first meeting could be not so pleasant, probably, mm -hmm. in okay. my opinion. Okay. So 
um, yes, the next step could be uh, open egg donation. But so far, we had only these anonymous egg donations. Uh, but we are trying to make this process more social because I understand from a position former egg donor that we're doing a big social thing. We're sharing some not just genetics, not just eggs, but we're sharing some happiness, especially when we're mothers on our own. And um, well, I I do um, this donor recruitment. I'm egg donation team leader at the moment. Uh, I feel that if we allow people to transmit some short information, some support letters, some Thanksgiving letters or something like that, because in terms of anonymous donation, it is possible without any context. But you feel the warmth of people, you know what I mean? That's right. You do. You feel your warmth and you feel that connection and that they, that they care. Um, and I think it's important to, to kids to know that the person that don't helped them come to be their donor uh, still cared on some level that, you know, they have a connection to your, your, the offspring that were produced from your donations, they're connected to you. And so to have, it's important. I know as from the child's perspective for children to have, um, or adults to have a connection, um, and contact sometimes with someone they have a genetic connection with, even if you, like you said, it's just a, a letter a letter yeah. that said, this is why I donated. That's what kids ask a lot. I keep saying kids, adults ask a lot that are donor conceived or even adopted is why, why did you donate? And what, or, or if you're in the case of adoption, what happened? And it's not necessarily because they're saying it. Sometimes they may be questioning it, it with some emotion involved, but sometimes they're just, it's just curious. They like to know why. Yeah. Yeah. And f- yeah. so that's kind of the biggest question I get from parents too is why do people donate? And so I, I know just from talking to egg donors what they've told me, but hey, since I have you, I definitely want to <laughs> ask you this question because it's straight from an egg donor's mouth. So yeah, I know you mentioned earlier that you felt very impacted by stories of infertility. And was it you know a big heart that you thought, I really want to help? Well, it is not only this thing, because I feel that Parenting is something has started in intended parents before the baby existence. And probably it arises after the first meeting with your child, whatever it is, a birth or adoption. And I feel that parenting uh, is a feeling and relationship with your child, but not as just defining by genetics. Mm-hmm. So that's why that I think that giving someone my egg, giving out my egg, doesn't mean that uh, I will miss something. It will just mean that somebody will have opportunity to have a baby. That was my point to donate. Mm-hmm. And so I agree that parenting for the most part is based on a relationship and an attachment, the attachment process, which happens as we raise children day by day and that closeness grows. And attachment can can also not happen between very well between biological families. You know, you can have a parent who's an absent parent or a mentally ill parent or a very physically ill parent who does not attach well with their biological child because attachment doesn't, you're right. It doesn't depend upon genetics. Um, So that that's true. As the child who has traits that resembles you, their donor um, and unique talents and abilities 
I often have them on my show and they want to know where they got those traits and abilities Mm -hmm. and they want to feel that connection. So sometimes it's not that they're looking for a parent, but they're looking for that information to help give them comfort of who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And so that in that way, you are important to many um, donor conceived individuals as the donor. And, you know, that varies from person to person. So some individuals are more curious than others. Some care more than others about genetic information. And so it really just, it's such a wide range of experiences and you just don't know, you know, you might have, do you, well, first of all, do you know how many children were born as a result of your donations? Yes, it's our standards. Um, so our donors uh, can know this information. So I do. Um, there are two girls somewhere in the world. Okay. You don't know uh, where? And I don't know where. I know they okay. just twins. Uh, so oh, okay. <laughs> it was yeah. a lucky one, a lucky case. So uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. I feel really, really, really warm about that in my heart because uh, I know they live in a happy family. I know I could do that because I donated. Okay. So I hope they are fine. I mm-hmm. hope they are happy. Mm-hmm. And do you have? You mentioned you were a mother, so they have your child has the two half siblings already. Yeah, I would say genetical half siblings. <laughs> yes, genetically, exactly, not yeah, socially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you think, does, well, do your kids know? Uh, my son knows about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he feels it's um, a nice um, touch because mm-hmm. um, he's proud his mom is a donor. Um, I don't know, is he going to become a donor someday? Whatever blood or, uh, you know, we can be a donor in many ways. But he's really proud about that. Um, How old is your son? He's 16. Oh, okay. And so he, you had, when did you have your son? Did you have him after your donations? No, no, no. Um, I was uh, quite young when I was, uh, when I became mother uh, mm-hmm. first time. So I was 19, I was a student and it, it was really hard to combine my university studies with being a mom. Um, afterwards in 2008, uh, when I graduated from university and uh, when I got a job and so on I became a donor Um, and well afterwards I came to uh, the clinic as a team member so it was very nice experience for me as well and in in a a bad way in a bad luck um, in uh, some years uh, we investigated with my husband about male infertility so I became an IVF patient due to male factor infertility. So you donated your eggs, you were a donor, and then you became an infertility patient because your husband had a a diagnosis. And as I've said before, infertility is a couple's issue. It's not uh, one person or the other. Even if one has the diagnosis, it still impacts the couple. And so then you were now having to go through the very treatments that that the people that, that, that you were helping went through that that was like a full circle moment I bet uh that was like a kick from the back you know (laughs) yeah that's probably more like more accurate yeah (laughs) yeah so what at this point were you then having to go through 
another round of egg retrieval for yourself. Yes, I had uh, two egg retrievals and four embryo transfers, and the fourth was successful. And my baby girl was born, and uh, she was our miracle. Mm. Uh, she's our rainbow baby. Yes. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Thank, thank you. I just can tell you one thing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I hear a very common uh, thing that sometimes patients tell me. I know what is uh, getting through this stimulation and so on. It is so, it's, you feel so miserable and so on. And uh, it's not a pleasant thing. Uh, I don't want my donor feel like that. What I can tell you, I was a donor and I was an IVF patient. I had absolutely almost the same procedure with stimulating my ovaries and so on, with um, um, shots and so on, with medicines. It is different. When you're doing this um, as an egg donor, you're a winner because uh, you do not have any infertility because you're helping someone to get pregnant and you're feeling happy about that. And you do not feel miserable about that. When you're an IVF patient, you feel very, very upset about that because you would rather um, get this uh, desired pregnancy on, in a natural way. Mm. So I felt like that. I felt really miserable and I understood what patients have told me about that before. It was um, a complete uh, disaster for me. Mm -hmm. I felt uh, very, very uh, dull, I would say, yeah. <laughs> during all the process and uh, all days, all shorts and even well, you feel like a loser, actually, mm. when you undergo it like an IVF patient. Probably yeah. it is, well, the loser of infertility, of course. Yes, of fertility. Well, you know, we've done research here in the well, Boston Mass, Alice Domar's research on the emotionally distressing aspects of infertility. And she found that it was comparable to people who had been diagnosed with cancer and heart disease that mm -hmm. that's how distressing infertility was to patients. And she was one of the first to really shine a light on, on the emotional needs and psychological needs of mm -hmm. couples going through this. And so you make such a good point that the reasons you're doing it are so different when you're donating versus when you're going through it to have a child yourself. Yeah. 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 And so it's, um, that's good information because I have had clients tell me that they feel really guilty um, knowing that their egg donor has to go through the process of retrieval and knowing physically what they're going to have to go through. I've, I've had them tell me that before. So it's a great, a great point that you bring up. Just wanted to know everybody who um, using a donor egg to conceive a baby, don't feel guilty about that because ladies who are donors, they do not feel like that, like have you a patient? Mm -hmm. They are happy to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so would you say there are other motivations to donate um, besides um, just charity, you know, being charitable, feeling generous? I know here in the United States, our donors are paid um, mm -hmm. for their donation. And so what I found in my 
interviews with people is that they were motivated both by a generous heart and by the financial benefit that they would receive. Some would be able to pay off a loan or put a bit down mm. payment on a house or improve their life situation or, um, you know, go back to college, various things they were trying to improve their life and that they benefited from that. So I, I found that there was usually a combination of both reasons. Um, I know mm -hmm. some areas of the world uh, donors are not allowed to be compensated. And mm -hmm. so that, that is just strictly out of generosity that, that they would be motivated. But what do you find in your area is, is there, are there other motivating factors? Um, well, first of all, uh, it is compensated in Russia. Okay. The remuneration varies about like, you know, monthly salary, average monthly salary in St. Petersburg. So, um, it can't cover, of course, uh, all the expenses and so on, which can cause with, uh, uh, her donation, for instance, uh, uh, most of the times ladies, um, uh, have to um, take a, a sick leave and they are paid less. So we need to mm -hmm. compensate. I feel it's a good compensation, but it is not like, you know, to pay your loan because it is not a great amount of money. And, um, we recruit only young mothers, and uh, I think that helps us to um, find ladies who are not interested only in money compensation because they yeah. understand what the motherhood is and what are they actually doing. Because if you would um, talk to a lady who uh, wishes to donate her eggs and she doesn't know what the motherhood is, I think it is not ethically right because probably by some reason in the future, she won't become a mother on her own. And would she feel comfortable about her egg donation experience in the past, especially if she uh, would meet infertility for some reason? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what you're saying is that if a donor has not had a child and become a mother yet, so they're a young person, maybe um, you know, 20 or 21, or just had you know, isn't married yet and, and is donating, that they might not actually fully understand what they're doing yep. because yeah. they have never parented and, and seen what it's like to have a child and to, you know, see the traits they pass on and all those things. So, um, you know, I do have heard early on when I was interviewing donors, I, I did hear some donors compare egg donation to donating a kidney or donating an organ. And I did a lot of education and I still do back then, mm -hmm. not as much as needed, but that it's very different than donating mm -hmm. organ. It's not like donating blood or an organ. That this cell, yeah. this is not just a cell. It's a, it's the components and the the blueprint to make a person. And that person is a real person that comes to be and has thoughts and feelings and needs. Yep. And and so I hear you saying that maybe if they haven't had a child, that they may not fully be actually fully informed. So it comes down to to are they able to give true consent to what they're doing. Yeah, and specifically, sometimes I hear that, um, uh, well, ladies who didn't have children, sometimes I hear some, um, well, attitude like, don't you feel that you're <clears throat> giving out your own children when you donate your eggs? Well, ladies, if you're mothers, then you understand what the motherhood is. You are raising your child. Uh, you have been, uh, given birth to this baby you've been for nine months together during the pregnancy. It is not just giving out 50% of genetics. It is not just giving a cell. So I feel that um, 
Well, I don't miss uh, babies, donor conceived babies, um, my children, I mean, genetic, genetically my children, because I have my old children. And mm -hmm. uh, that's a point. I have my old children and understand what the real motherhood is. You understand what you're getting into and what you're also giving, giving up, so to speak, or, or, or giving to somebody else. And so, yeah. And so, so you would, your agency requires that they be a mother first. And I know over here, they re, they recommend that donors be at least 21 years old. So they're old enough to, you know, to kind of understand again, understand what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so, but that's not always followed. I will tell you, I hear lots of cases of 19 year old donors, um, mm -hmm. even here in the U S so, so yeah, so it's, I think that's a, a good point to bring up and certainly something that, um, that I would, I would agree with you. I think that it is best to be informed and understand what you're doing. I will say I have interviewed women who have decided not to have their own children and maybe they're mm -hmm. the exception. Um, and they, they're pretty, they have a good shoulder on their heads. They're mature. They know what they want and they really don't feel like they're going to be having any children and they've decided mm -hmm. to donate. And in those cases, I think are, I, I, I have felt comfortable with those. How do you feel in that situation? Well, um, it can it can change some, in some, somewhere in the future because, well, today she's child-free, she's young, uh, she feels she wished to spend her life on the other issues, not on children and family. But when she's 40 or 45, would she regret or not? Is there any guarantee? I don't know. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to know. But if I know that if you fully inform them the best you can, you know, it's, I kind of mark that as, well, they, you know, they were fully informed and I did, you know, advise them that they might change their mind and there are risks involved. You know, there are psychological risks that don't end the day you walk out of the clinic and have your eggs retrieved. They, they don't end, they will continue through the rest of your life. You might have a donor conceived child that shows up in your life again at some point. So it's really important to be fully informed as a donor. And um, there's one thing that's, that um, another debate or question that people ask is, how do you feel if a person says to you, well, I want to donate, but I never, ever, ever want to be known. I always, I want, I will never meet any offspring. I'll never have any contact with them. Do you still feel that that's okay for them to move forward with a donation? Uh, I feel that... Um... Everybody has a right to act like they feel. So in my opinion, um, I would agree that uh, if someone wishes to get in touch with me, and if, for instance, if I do not want to get in touch and uh, there was some contract or something like that during the donation process, of course, uh, I wouldn't be in touch. But if I feel it is okay to be in touch with someone, then I would do so. And what about a donor that said to you, I, I want to donate, but I really want to remain strictly anonymous and I don't see myself changing my mind. So I never want to be contacted. And now we know with um, DNA testing is so common here in the US. And mm -hmm. that's how many donors conceived individuals are finding out they were donor conceived is through these, these consumer DNA kits. I don't know if if they're widely used in Russia yet, but um, I think I think it's going to be really popular very soon. Yes, <laughs> well. yes. And so, if they aren't prepared 
for maybe being known someday, maybe it's not in the best interest for them to donate or to think about it, you know, maybe step back and think about it a few months before they move forward with the donation. I think, I think, well, we have such a, a similar situation with um, um, not a sperm donation, but uh, well, some, well, from age, from hu human uh, history, uh, there, were, there were lots of cases when uh, there were some children conceived with uh, some men and they didn't want to be in touch with the children. Mm -hmm. I think it's quite well similar situation, and they would like to be in touch with the fathers or genetic fathers, mm -hmm. and they do not want to be contacted. Mm -hmm. So, how can you describe this situation? I think it is very similar. Yeah, and I don't know which case you're referring to, and you know, I bet you, I'm sure there's some cultural differences here too, um, because I know that you know in the United States there at least is more talk lately about. Um, not being able to remain anonymous and that that's not really possible anymore. And that if you're going through donation or you're going to be a donor, that you want to be fully informed, that you may mm -hmm. not be able to remain anonymous for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so I imagine just like anything when the, when things change over time and, you know, eventually in every country that that could be the case too in Russia is that just being anonymous forever would be very difficult to yes to... yes i i understand what you mean but uh, i mean that um, for instance um you know this person but this person doesn't want to be in touch with you mm -hmm. would you force this person to be in touch with you i don't think so no you wouldn't no you wouldn't i don't think anybody would want to go through yeah. that misery that would be pretty miserable yeah but if they on the front end if there's ways that we can we can make this situation better for everyone and we don't know for sure if a child's going to want to know that, that information or just have a reason to seek out health information. But since we don't know, I'm just curious and wondering, asking the question, would it be best to, to take on donors who are willing or at least mm -hmm. open to mm -hmm. say, yeah, I would, would be willing to, to give them some information. I may not want to have a relationship with them, but I'm not worried about being contacted and I can sure I can give them some family information if they needed it at some point. And so just encouraging donors to be more on the, um, the side of, of being open to what might change down the road. I mean, we're looking at 20 years from now, 30, yeah. 40, 50, hundred, you know, this, we have, we see so much changing with technology and with DNA um, testing that, you know, who knows what we're capable of finding out um, just in just a decade away. So I just find that the this idea that you're going to remain anonymous and that you don't want to be contacted at all just maybe means you're not quite ready for the what's really involved in donation. Again, I could be speaking from more the United States culture rather than Russia and just have never been there. So I, I really don't, <laughs> I'm not familiar with that. And so I'm I guess it's kind of where it's kind of cool because our, our worlds can unite and we can bridge that gap and just yeah. have this conversation. And yeah, yeah, maybe there is a difference here. I'll let you talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand your point, but uh, about the open donation, whatever sperm donation or egg donation, um, on some moment of time, one person decided to become an open donor. But that's life. What can happen in a year perspective, in 10 years perspective, would this person 
like to be in touch in some time. So um, I mean that uh, there are so many circumstances, life circumstances, which can lead not to be open for this person. Even if you have your uh, very close people, your friends, is there any guarantee that you will be in a close touch with the same people in 10 years or 12 uh, or 20 years? I can tell you that uh, having this bond of open donor is a guarantee that your baby, the donor-conceived baby, will have opportunity to be in touch with uh, with this donor. That's what I wanted to tell you. Oh, so you're saying if, even if they say they're open to being contacted someday, yeah. that they may not be. Is... Yes. Well, that's true. That I mean, certainly things can change. But I, I'm thinking if they start out saying absolutely not, then the chances are even less likely that they're going to be, you know, that they're yeah. going to even be available. So yeah, yeah. yeah. True, it's, a, true. it's something to think about. It's just something that's definitely come out um, lately with anonymity um, and the kind of what they say is the end of anonymity, at least um, here, what we're talking about in the US and with, with DNA testing and how so many donor-conceived individuals are finding out and then finding their donor as well. And sometimes it's through a half-sibling. The half-sibling reaches out to them, sends them an email and says, hey, I think we're related. And then they find out that way too. And so um, I know that there's a case, I don't know if you listen to Half of Me podcast, but Allie, she was able to find her donor in three days after her yeah. DNA test results came back. So wow. yeah. yeah, I mean, it was pretty easy to find. Um, does Russia have any kind of a national database or, or anything like that on donation? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that uh, we will have it because of the, well, globalization and so on. Mm -hmm. It's getting, getting really, really popular. So I yeah. think we will have the same, especially with uh, dealing with um, international banks and so on. So it would be very easy to find. Mm -hmm. And where do you, where do you see most of your intended parents? What countries are are you working with, with um, parents? Uh, of course, most of the uh, most of our patients come from Europe, um, but uh, some of them come from Australia, and even New Zealand. Some of them come from Canada and United States. So, um, well, we we are quite international. Okay. Yeah. And they travel, will they travel to you? Yeah, they travel mm -hmm. to us and uh, they have uh, uh, fresh embryo transfers here. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. Well, and what else did you want to share about your experience of being a donor and then being also a, um, a IVF patient yourself? Uh, I just wanted to tell you that uh, having this uh, IVF experience, uh, completely changed my attitude just for life because um, when you get um, pregnant easily you don't feel like um, you know probably probably just uh, my experience wasn't so uh, pleasant but I, I feel that everybody who experienced IVF uh, who experienced infertility doesn't feel okay I know about that. And now when I started to get into this community closer, like IVF patient, 
I feel that I can relate to many of our IVF patients and I understand them much better. So uh, sometimes when you uh, do not understand why this uh, person is nervous, you can just remind uh, what have you had and then you will have your answer because uh, you do not feel okay about everything. You do not feel okay that you are longing. You do not feel okay that you need to put your life on hold. You do not feel okay that you need to postpone your personal plans because you're planning your baby and so on. Yeah. And how old is your baby now? Uh, she is uh, one year and a half. Oh, that's yeah, a sweet age. She's quite small. <laughs> yeah. And you'll tell her someday about your donations and the half siblings yeah. that are out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, my son, he feels a bit um, jealous because uh, <laughs> she has a very, I would say, unique story on her own already. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son says, Well, do you feel that you love her more than me? I told him, No, of course not. But you, you, you have so special story for her. I told mm-hmm. him that. Uh, when you will become a father on your own, you will understand that mm-hmm. when you will, when you have children, you love them equally. Mm-hmm. You know, I always people ask me that a lot because they're afraid that they won't love a child that's donor conceived as much as they would love a child that was genetically theirs. And I, I've you know, I've given this a lot of thought just with my own experiences of being in adoptive family, mm-hmm. and I felt it really important to. Think of love, not in terms of equality, but in terms of the uniqueness of how we love each person in our life and how, you know, we can't really quantify it. Like I know with my two kids, there's no way I could say I love one more than the other, or I could, I can't quantify them that way because my love for them is, and my relationship with each one of them is so different and unique. And there are things I share with one child that I don't have with the other. And then there's things I share with the other child that I don't have, Mm -hmm. you know, with the other. So it's this, it's this like uniqueness, it's unique love. And so when I'm explaining to parents to be, and I said, don't think of it in terms of quality because you can't just, you just love is too complex. It's so much more complex than to just to compare it like that. And so it really made some sense for people and they can, it gives them a sense of relief because I know they have a tremendous amount of guilt and worry and concern about what if I have, you know, more love for a child, our first child who we conceived biologically uh, together, and now we can't have another child. So we're using donor conception. How Mm. will I feel? And I don't want my second child to feel less than. And so if I can shift their framework and their mind away from quantifying and towards um, uniqueness, um, mm-hmm. that unique relationship, I think that that can help. So yeah, I hear what you're saying. Uh, and it's just a little tiny, you know, it's semantics really. It's just semantics. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I hear what you're saying for sure. So yeah, I'm trying to think, I mean, I feel like there's so many questions I could ask you about being a donor. Um, do you wonder about your, the children that were born, the, the donor conceived children that were born? Um, yes. Do you think about them? How, how often would you say you do? Sometimes, I, sometimes I feel that uh, I would love to meet them someday, mm-hmm. uh, but that was anonymous act donation. Mm-hmm. Um, if someday this uh, patient uh, would love to meet me, probably I would agree. <laughs> but I, I, I need this first step 
<laughs> I think it is going to be just uh, uh, a meeting of uh, a century for me. <laughs> no, it would be. It'd be so special. Now, how would they even be able to find you in Russia? Um, I know that they are not based in Russia because okay. um, uh, we have patients all over the world. So mm -hmm. they are not from Russia. So um, would it have I to be DNA that... testing then to find you? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, then I should uh, pass some uh, DNA testing as well. <laughs> you would have to have your own DNA testing. Yeah. Of and course. Then they, yeah. Yeah. There is a donor looking or a donor conceived child looking for her donor father in the UK. And um, she did DNA testing and nothing showed up. So um, she's, mm. she's going to be on the podcast and she's doing a 30 day challenge to try to find her donor. Mm. So, yeah. So How old is she? She's 19. Actually, you know, she's a little bit older than that. She's, um, I forget, but uh, she's, you'll hear her on the podcast. Her name is Nikita. Yeah, yeah and, I would um, love to. Yeah, and it's just fascinating. It's just so yeah. fascinating. And I, you know, I think what's really important for people to know that are listening is that just if your agency has said it was anonymous and that the donor does not want any contact with your child, that's not necessarily what the donor has said. I have seen many, many cases of donors saying, I know it's anonymous, but I'm open to contact should they need it. I'm going to respect boundaries of the parents, but if they ever need any information, I of course would understand. And then mm -hmm. the agencies and clinics are not, are not relaying that information to parents. So parents are hearing, nope, the donor doesn't want any contact. And that's not what they've actually said. So I think that's really important and that can help people connect. Yeah, it happens a lot. Can I ask you something? Sure. Uh, do, do you feel that um, um, parents should tell all the time the kids that they were donor conceived? So in the U.S., yes, this is our, and again, I really do respect different cultures around the world. And so I don't ever want to use blanket statements uh, that would be worldwide. But I do think that the human needs are also fairly universal. Yeah. So I can't see that I don't know of any reason to not tell. I would have to be informed and educated by someone like you that can yeah. maybe tell me um, culturally what's different. But we do recommend here that you tell because of that, just like I mentioned, it's so easy to find out through DNA testing mm -hmm. and they're finding out and then having been lied to or not told the truth for so long is such a disruption psychologically. Yeah. And a betrayal, and it just is difficult. They're really having to rebuild aspects of their identity around this new information as adults, and that's complicated psychologically. It really yeah. is. So if you can just tell from the beginning, you can avoid some of that um, that the later turmoil that your child could go through. Yeah, yeah, I I, I can relate to that. That that's why I was also open in my family and. Uh, uh, the first person uh, whom advice I, I used was my husband. I asked him, uh, what if I would become a donor, an egg donor? Would he feel okay with that? And afterwards, my son, when he got older, he learned that I was an egg donor. Mm -hmm. So I was open about that. And I feel that it is, of course, better to be open with your kids, with your donor-conceived children. Mm-hmm. I do too. I mean, I, obviously I do. I wrote a book about it. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, yes, I, yeah. I, I would love to have it. <laughs> and mm, oh, absolutely. Can you get a copy over there? Uh, I feel, I feel yes. <laughs> do you, it's on Amazon. I don't know. Are yes, you, I will okay. order that. 
Yes, I definitely. Think, okay, yes, do do. And I think that that's something you could also tell your donors if they were curious about it, the psychological aspects that parents are going through and that the way they speak to their children about donation, it might be mm-hmm. really helpful for them to understand that too. So, yeah. Yeah. and definitely listen to share the podcast because they'll hear all kinds of perspectives from donor conceived individuals to intended parents around the world that have different experiences. So it's just a way to get awareness and information out there. Yeah. Yeah. I would do. We do. So thank you. Very good. It was so great having you on today. And I know that people can connect with you on Instagram at your blog. I believe you have a blog. And what is yeah, that? I have a blog. Yes. It's Agdonation blog. Okay. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. So yeah, you can yeah. check out Anna. Thank you. It was my pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Jana Rupnow LPC. And you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby, on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.